Y'all doing good? Can we read the Bible tonight? Is that okay? I said, can we read the Bible tonight? Is that okay? Good. Glad to hear. A lot of people standing in the back. We got plenty of chairs, y'all. Let's be friends. Right, Esther? Right. Hey, we started, uh, started this series last week that we're pumped about. We're calling it In Progress. In Progress. And uh, I love that title because there's great comfort in that title by saying In Progress, knowing that uh, each and every one of us is in progress. To me, I, um, and the reason I find comfort in that is because often, but really God's desire for us is that we would be in progress. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. Just that we would be in progress, that we're on a journey, right? And so I find great comfort, but at the same time, uh, pursuing progress is, um, is a challenging statement because it requires progression. It requires moving forward. Progression is not staying stagnant. Progression is not going backwards. Progression is going forward. And so while I find great comfort in knowing that it's okay to be in progress, I also find it to be a challenging statement because it leans into God's desire for us to be constantly growing, that we're on this journey. And so uh, wherever you're at on the journey of faith, um, man, we should be moving forward. Let's move forward, not backwards. So it's a challenging statement, which, by the way, uh, challenging is okay, just so you know. Uh, being challenged is actually really good for us. Let me... Um, let me just go in on that for up in that culture, and so have I, uh, where people have been fighting, fighting to uh, protect you, fighting to keep you from failure, and the reason is because they want to protect you from feeling hurt, from getting your feelings hurt, from ha being disappointed, from feeling like a failure, and so everyone's trying to coddle you and make sure that you don't experience any failure in life. That's why we have, you know, everyone wins. There's not a first place trophy or second place trophy. You guys have heard all that. But how many of you know in real life that's not how real life works, right? You get to be in college or you get to be a young adult and you start working and you start realizing that, uh, Someone gets the promotion and someone doesn't, right? Someone gets a pay raise and someone doesn't. Someone gets a B on a test and someone gets an A. It's not all fair. And so you're going to experience failure. And so I think actually the better thing that we need to teach people is not how to avoid failure, but how to let failure be your fuel for growth, because it can do that. Failure can actually be what pushes you forward and what helps you grow. So what we do is we inevitably teach young people how to stay away from things where there is an, a possibility of failure. We say don't even try anything. Don't even attempt anything if there's a possibility of failure. But we need to start teaching people to just for growth. Because what will happen is you will get scared of failing so much so that you'll never get out of your comfort and experience any challenge. Y'all don't want me to preach this, do y'all? You'll, you'll get scared of failure so much so that you'll never get out of your comfort to experience any challenge. Yet challenge is necessary for growth. Challenge is necessary for growth. And comfort is the enemy of growth. 
And so they don't go together. You can't be comfortable and experience challenge, and you also can't be comfortable and grow. And I've come to learn that God oftentimes does his best work, his best growth outside of my comfort. And so I want to present to you tonight, I want to, to uh, talk to you tonight on a subject that I believe is very challenging on scripture that I believe is very challenging, but in hopes that it would challenge our faith because challenging your faith is a good thing because that means that your faith can grow from it, right? Oftentimes my assignment is to bring you some encouragement. Sometimes my assignment is to bring you hope, but tonight I think my assignment is to challenge you. Because comfortable Christianity is the enemy to a faith that is in progress. And I think God would challenge us to get outside of comfortable Christianity. You must embrace a faith that leans you toward challenge, not a faith that caters to your comfort. Have I hit this enough? Can we move on? Are we good? You must embrace a faith that leans you toward challenge, not caters to your comfort. And so tonight, the question uh, that I want to ask us is simply this. Are you a follower of Jesus? That's the question. For each person in the room, no matter if you've been uh, saved for 10 years, saved for 10 days, or maybe you're still trying to figure all that out. The question is, are you a follower of Jesus? Because I think this, uh, this term follower of Jesus has a tendency to get lost in the mix of what we call Christianese. And it just gets, uh, it, it, we hide behind us, we hide behind terms like believer and even terms like Christian. But I got news for you. Jesus actually didn't come to make us Christians. He, made, he came to make us followers. And he didn't come just so that we would believe, although that was something he did come for. He came so that we would go from belief into then fellowship of him. And so being a follower is actually what we've been called to do. And so my question tonight for all of us, as I've been studying for myself, is are we followers of Jesus? I was doing some research, and it says that the word believer, as it pertains to uh, like calling someone a believer, is found one time in the Gospels. The word Christian is found zero times in the Gospels. The word follow is found 102 times. And there's another word that is interchangeable with follow, and that's the word disciple. And that word is found 293 times. To be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus came to make disciples, to make followers. So are you a follower of Jesus? The invitation of God was not just to believe in him, but to be a follower of him. And so I want to give uh, to us tonight kind of a do you follow Jesus worksheet. Let's go to school today. Can we do that? A do you follow Jesus worksheet. And let's just be honest with ourselves, and, and, and hear me out. My goal is not to, to make anybody feel guilty. My goal is not to bring condemnation to anyone. Of, I, I remember growing up in church, there were oftentimes I left church, and I thought, 
man, I kind of suck at this Christian thing. Like, man, I'm terrible at this, right? My goal is not to do that. I don't believe that's the heart of God. I know it's not the heart of God to bring you condemnation. And it's not the heart of this family right here. But it is our heart to challenge one another and to spur each other on in the faith. And sometimes that means asking the tough questions, right? And so that's my goal tonight is to ask the question, are we followers of Jesus? And here's the thing. You don't get to decide what it means to follow Jesus. He's already decided that for us. And he told us what his followers would be like and what they wouldn't be like. So you don't get to decide what it looks like to follow Jesus. You just get to decide if you'll follow him or not. And so that's my job for tonight. So I want to read to us in uh, Luke chapter 14, 10 verses of scripture. And uh, this is the life of Jesus in the middle of his ministry. And so we're going to have the verses on the screen. You can follow along. Are you ready? Let's do it. It says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus And turning to them, he said this. I'm just going to read all of it, and then we'll come through and talk about it. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, can't be my follower. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. (laughs) Can't be my followers. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Anybody just feel like you need some fresh air after reading that? (laughs) Wow. So a heavy passage. I just want to kind of get into it for a little bit tonight. Can I just pray real quick? I know we prayed a little bit. Let me just uh, one more time. Lord, we love you. Grateful for your word. And... um, Lord, there are things in Scripture that are really hard to understand, but God, I believe you put them there for a reason, so would you make them clear to us and help us to understand you more, help us to know what it means to follow you more. Lord, that's our desire tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I want to do something um, a little bit awkward. Can I do that? Anybody enjoy awkwardness? Like you just revel, like you enjoy awkward situations. You like it. You even try and get into it every now and then on purpose. (laughs) You're pointing at friends. Love awkwardness. So I want to do something a little bit awkward maybe for some of us, uh, but it'll be funny for the rest of us. Do we have any people in the room who are dating? Anybody dating? Either someone in the room or someone outside the room, but you're in a dating relationship. All right, all right. All the single people that had your eye on somebody with their hand up, just go ahead. 
It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Dating. Um, dating is not fun. I'm glad I'm married. It was not fun. Um, but here's what I know. Every dating relationship goes through like this one moment. This one moment that happens, it has to happen. I believe it has to happen in every single dating relationship. Like nothing is excused. It transcends all of time. It's been happening. Well, I don't know that I can say authoritatively that it's been happening, but it transcends time. It transcends the quality of the people in the relationship transcends the experience that the people have, whether you've dated 47 other people before the person next to you or whether this is the first person you've dated. It doesn't matter. Every dating relationship has to have this one moment. Do you know what moment it is? No, you don't. So let me teach you. Every, situa- every dating situation has to eventually come to the DTR moment. Do you know what DTR stands for? It stands for define the relationship. This is a conversation that must take place for every relationship. Did it happen with you guys? Yes, it did. For every dating relationship, it had to happen. It has to happen. This is a moment. It's real pivotal. It's a moment where the girl, it's usually the girl. This is totally stereotyping, but I'm going to go with it. It's usually the girl that says, hey, you know, we've, we've, been, <laughs> we've been talking for a little bit now. Like, you seem to be kind of flirting with me. We've been on a few dates. We even paid that one time. Like, everything is going good. That one time, not more than once. You paid that one time. <laughs> Everything seems to be good. So, like, I'm just wondering... You know, you haven't really asked me to be your girlfriend yet. Like, is that coming? Like, can we, do, can we define the relationship? And what does the guy usually say? Like, <laughs> this is funny. This is funny. What does the guy usually say? Oh, really? Like, why? Why do we need? Like, all of a sudden, when that question gets proposed, it, 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 the guy just becomes like a philosophical person that thinks really deep. It's like, but what? What even really is a relationship? Like, really? Why even are we alive? Like, all, these, all of a sudden, these thoughts. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, no, we got we to gotta define what this is. Let's define this and let's move forward, right? Just so you know, um, guys, uh, you're going to hate me after this. But when someone doesn't want to DTR, it's because they want to enjoy you without committing to you. <laughs> Gosh, I love my job. It's because they want to enjoy you without committing to you. It's just, it's just like, what, what, but why? Why do we have to? We're having a good time. We're enjoying each other. We get to hang out. This is fun, right? Why do we need to go? Why do we need to define that? No, it's they want to enjoy you without committing to you because commitment brings expectations. Somebody say amen. It brings expectations. We have time commitment brings an expectation, right? There's, <laughs> there's a uh, to me only commitment, right? That, that exists. To me only, there's that expectation. We need to put that out there. No more dating other people or whatever. This is a me only. There is an emotional commitment that takes place. And so commitment seems to scare some people a little bit. And we just want to enjoy each other without committing to each other. 
And sometimes it's not really because of the other person. They don't want to commit to you. Sometimes it's just like a, where they're at in life. I got a lot going on or whatever. I got a lot of things, all the other excuses. But um, sometimes it's just a, I just can't commit, right? I think, <laughs> I think this passage of scripture that we just read, which is really kind of confusing, I really believe that it is a kind of like a DTR conversation that Jesus wants to have. Like it's, it's, a, it's a point that he comes to in his life of ministry, where he says, hold up now, we, we need to have the, the DTR conversation. We need to define this relationship. Like, like he's been doing his thing for a little while now. He's been healing people. Like incredible things have been happening, and now he's got a lot of people following him. The scripture says that first verse we read that a large crowd was gathered around him, and then it's at that point when a large crowd gathers around him that he decides to drop this. He decides to say what we just read. So it's like Jesus said, I'm not sure if all these people understand quite what it means to follow me. Like, I, I, I don't know that every single one of them really knows. Like, I, I don't know that Jesus questioned himself. That, that sounds wrong to say. But I wonder if he just said, maybe I haven't been clear in my message. Maybe, maybe people are not getting it right. Like, and so he decides, I'm going to have a DTR conversation. The crowd's getting too big. Maybe they haven't considered the cost and I don't want any lukewarm followers. I don't want any half-hearted followers. Can't be that this many people are saying, I'm into following Jesus. And so he decides to weed the crowd out a little bit. And he says, I'm going to say some pretty bold things to bring some clarity behind what it really means to follow me. This is what fascinates me. Jesus was more concerned with the size of the commitment than he was the size of the crowd. I wonder if he would say the same thing to his church today. I wonder if he would say the same thing to us. Austin, I'm not as much concerned about the number of people that come on a Thursday night as I am about the size of the commitment of the people that do come. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, Jesus... He said it in his word that he would desire for all people to come to a relationship with him. And a lot of people followed him. But he cares about the commitment. And he says, I'm not sure all these people know exactly what it means to follow me. So let me lay it out and give a little bit of a litmus test. And I know this is true for me. This is true for us. We have a tendency to lean toward getting as much as I can and giving as little as I can. I think Jesus knew that the greatest threat to his ministry, to this movement that he was beginning, this movement that he was beginning that would go on for thousands of years until the day that he returns, I think he knew that the greatest threat to this movement he was beginning was going to be people who want to be close, so close that it requires anything from them. People that want to be close enough and kind of just lean in and get all the good things that come from him, get healed, have some good feelings, but people that don't want to get close enough to where it requires any sacrifice from them. And so he drops a bomb, and he says these things. And so it's a little bit of a litmus 
test. So I want to walk through what he said and unpack what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And you get to test yourself. Each one of you gets to go, is this true of me? A little bit of a DTR question, DTR conversation for you. So resist the urge to look at your neighbor and uh, just think about yourself. Are you ready? Let's do it. Verse 26, he begins and he says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. (laughs) What a shocking bomb statement that he just drops in there. Like if, if, if you were trying to sell something, if you're a salesman, and you're trying to sell something, people, and then you tell them, hey, but if you want to buy my product or you want to get on board with what we're doing here, the only thing you got to know is that you got to hate your mom. Not the best sales technique, I would, I would add. Don't try that if you're a salesman. Not going to work for you. But Jesus says, you got to hate your family. What's up with that? What kind of sick religion is that? He saw the crowds, too many people. Let me weed it down. You got to hate your family. You still in? (laughs) I think a lot of people were probably like, oh, not what I thought it was. So what is Jesus really talking about? We know he doesn't mean hate, right? Scripture can't contradict Scripture. And we know that uh, actually the Bible teaches that we are to honor these people in our life. And then you can read the rest of the Bible and understand that uh, hate is nowhere in God's agenda, And that actually love is like one of the top things in his agenda. In fact, he says the greatest command is that you love the Lord your God and that you love others. So how can we love others? And yet in this scripture, he says you got to hate your mom and pops. Scripture can't contradict scripture. So what does Jesus mean when he says this? This is what he's saying. When I compare my love my affection, my desire, my allegiance, when I compare that to Jesus, when I compare it from Jesus to everyone else, every other relationship in my life, that there should not even be any comparison. It's not even that there's a one and two. It's like there's just a one. There's not even a two. That's what it should look like. Like all of your love, all of your affection. I love the word allegiance. Allegiance means loyalty or commitment. And what I love about allegiance is you can't have first allegiance and second allegiance. It doesn't exist. You can't. This this is what I love about marriage for those of you who are getting married. When you go down to the altar and you say I do to somebody, not only are you saying I do, but you're saying I don't to every other person in the world. It's saying, my allegiance is yours. If I say, you have my allegiance and you have my allegiance, that's not, like, no one has your allegiance. There is no second place allegiance. And so when it comes to the place of my heart and my life, who has the allegiance of my heart and my life, there is no comparison. He has it all. If this isn't true of you, You cannot be a follower of Jesus. According to Jesus, you cannot be a follower unless he is your one and only. I want you to write that down. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Is Jesus my one and only? 
Is he my one and only? Here's what it means if you say yes to that. You love Jesus more than you love anyone or anything. In your heart, Jesus is separately, uniquely loved by you. No person has my first affection but Jesus. I love the way a guy writes it in a book. His name is Kyle Eidelman. He writes it in a book, and it says, he says it like this. Imagine that the different loves of your life are competing in a race to see who will win first place. You got Jesus, your spouse, your children. That doesn't relate to you guys yet, but one day. A best friend, a sibling, they're all lined up on the starting blocks. The idea of this scripture isn't that Jesus comes in first place. What Jesus is describing here is more accurately understood by picturing a race for first place in your life, and he is the only one on the track. No one else is even racing. Jesus isn't just saying, I want to be first place in your life. He's saying, I don't even want there to be a second place. When we compare our relationship with him to anyone else, there should be no competition. No competition in your heart. So does that mean I can't have people in my life that I care about deeply and people that I love? Absolutely not. Of course not. In fact, I actually believe this. I actually believe that the fruit of him being your first love is seen by how well you love people around you. And that's actually why the desire of my heart is that he be first and on top in the sole focus of all of my affection and adoration and my allegiance is because if I give that to him, then every other relationship in my life will fall into place. I can only know how to love my wife best when I'm fully loving Jesus best. You can only love the people around you at work and at school or wherever best if you're fully, if you have Jesus in his right place, the object of your full attention, your affection. No one even is competing for that place. So the question for us is, is he my first, my one and only? Over the past few years of uh, being a pastor, I've had the privilege of just meeting a lot of people and traveling to um, some other countries and a lot of cool places. And, and um, really, I've seen some crazy things, but one of the things that grips my heart, maybe like nothing else, is seeing people convert to being a follower of Jesus from another religion. I've witnessed people with Muslim parents be disowned by their family because of their decision to become a follower of Jesus. I've seen young people scorned by their parents for their decision to follow Jesus. I've seen people literally taken off, completely disowned, never seen again by the people who are closest in their life because of their decision to follow Jesus. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever experienced. But to me, it is the most literal living example of this scripture. Like literally what it says, that's what these people are doing. I love you, mom and dad. I love you people in my life, family. But my decision to follow Jesus is most important. 
and he is my first love. And even, listen, I can't possibly fathom the pain of this, but even if it means every other relationship in my life I lose, I'm willing to go there. That's what it means to follow him. The majority of us in this room have never known that. We'll never have to know that. But yet that's what scripture asks us. Is he your one and only to the point where everyone else, no comparison, no competition. That is obviously the most radical example that the most of us won't have to face. But if we could examine your heart and ask the question, is there a competitor? Is there someone in competition with him being the one and only in your life? Let's be honest, the majority of us probably say he's not. Your boyfriend's getting more love than Jesus is. Your friends are getting more of your attention, your focus. Your living in comparison to those around you is getting more of your commitment than a commitment to the word of God. There are tons of things that are buying our attention, our allegiance, and unfortunately, we're giving it to them. And yet being a follower of Jesus, when it comes down to it, he says that can't happen. Is this challenging to anyone? So, how'd you answer the first question? How'd you answer the first DTR question? Is Jesus my one and only? It's time to check, yes or no. The second DTR question is this. It's found in verse 28 through 32. Let's keep reading. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So you have two stories here. You have a man building a tower. You have a king going off to war. And he's telling this crowd of people. Jesus is telling this crowd of people. Before you say you are going to follow me, all of you people that like what I'm doing, before you say you're going to follow me, think about it. Consider it. Because there is a price tag involved. There is a cost to following me. And have you already decided to pay it is the question. Are you willing to pay it? Jesus is saying to them, following me, wasn't saying it to them, I think this is what he said to us. Following me might mean you have to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend because I don't think she's the right one or he's the right one or I don't think this is the right relationship with you. If you want to follow me, will you pay the price to follow? Following me might mean you don't get to chase that career you always thought you wanted because I have other plans for you. Will you follow me? Won't give you the paycheck you wanted won't give you the notoriety you wanted, won't give you the fame that you desire, but I got other plans for you. Will you follow me? Following me might just mean that you will have to be different than the other people around you 
You might not be able to fit into some of the groups that you used to hang out with. You might not be able to do some of the things you used to do. Are you okay with that? Will you follow me? Following me might mean that you don't get to just accept something as your personality, but you may have to admit that you're not a very patient person, that you're not a very selfless person, that you're not a very compassionate person, and God's called you to lean into that. And so you don't just get to accept something as, well, this is just who I am, and, and I'm just you know, a blunt, rude person. No, not a thing. Following me means you begin to get on the journey of having the Holy Spirit change you from the inside out and let his fruit live through you. Will you follow me? Following me may mean that you have to actually fight against some temptation instead of just giving into it every time because it feels good. There might be a fight if you want to follow. So, The second DTR question is this. Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? Some people tonight need to check yes or no. Have you already decided that you will do whatever he wants for you? Whatever he asks of you? You're willing to do it. I'm all in. I'm following. Verse 33 says this. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Can't be a follower of me unless you give up everything you have. Megan, you can come up. Really? Give everything I have? Is that really what Jesus wants? Here's what I would offer to you. What he's saying here is, are you willing to hold everything in your hands loosely so that you can hold tight to Jesus? Holding tight to Jesus means that you hold everything else in your hand loosely. See, we have a tendency to go through life and whatever we have in our life, relationships, jobs, material things, possessions, stuff we want to hold so tightly And yet part of God getting us out of our comfort sometimes and challenging us is to let loose of those things and let them be given. And he says, everyone who's not willing, able, capable, open to holding their hands, the the things in their hands loosely and allowing me to take anything that I want, can't be my disciple, can't be a follower. So the question is, will you trade everything to follow Jesus? Will you hold everything so loosely that at any moment he can take it from you? But you trust him. He's a good God. He has a plan for you. He loves you. His heart is good and his plans for you are good. Will I trade everything to follow Jesus? I want to read to you one last scripture in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It says this, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had 
and he bought that field because the treasure was more valuable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had so that he could buy that one. The kingdom of heaven is like you being willing to hold everything in your hands loosely because you want to hold tightly to Jesus. And that's what he calls from people who want to be his followers. You say, Austin, you're not really convincing me to sign up to be a follower of Jesus. I know. I don't need to convince you. Here's what I really believe about our world today. I think people are already aware of their great need. I think people are already just miserable. They realize that they're, they're lacking significance. They realize they lack purpose and meaning. They realize they're thirsty and nothing that they have tried in this life will quench it. I don't think you have to sell. I think the truth is you say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And will it cost you? Yeah. Will he have to be your one and only? Yeah. Will you have to hold things in your hand loosely? Yep. But when you do, (laughs) if you choose to follow Jesus like this, he will quench that thirst that you have. And he will bring more satisfaction and significance and meaning to your life than you have ever found before. It is only in following him fully like this where those needs get met and where true life is found. And so while tonight I believe was meant to be a challenge, I also believe it was meant to be an invitation because it challenges us. Are we following Jesus that way? You got to ask it. I got to ask it. Am I, is, does that look like me? Am I following Jesus that way? But it's also a great invitation that those who follow him that way will find life and find it to the full. It's crazy because it's like a, it's an oxymoron kind of like those who give their life away, those who completely surrender their life completely open-handedly will receive it. You probably know the scripture in Luke chapter 9. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. (laughs) It's only in losing your life for him where your life gets saved. And so tonight is a DTR conversation, a chance for you to define the relationship. Where are you and Jesus at? How do you do with those questions? Are you a follower? one thing to believe. It's another thing to follow. But for some of you, this is confirming tonight. You go, this is the Jesus that I am following, and this is the life that I'm modeling. For some of you, you could come up here and tell the stories about when I decided to follow Jesus like this, the joy that you found in life, and how all these things came into perfect alignment with him. You could come tell your story. But for some of you tonight, This is not confirming, this is disturbing. Because if you're honest, this doesn't describe you. 
So when I say it's challenging, but it's also an invitation, it's an invitation for you to say, I want to make progress. I want to make progress, and I want to renew, renew my fellowship of him. It's your choice. It's your choice. This is not a message. I understand the heaviness of this. And I understand what I'm calling people to. But I believe it's the greatest calling in the world. I believe it's the greatest invitation there is to a life of following Jesus. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you tonight to take inventory of your own life. And for you to ask the question, am I following? Am I a true follower of Jesus? Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you don't believe. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. There's belief that comes with that. But Jesus has invited you in to a life of following him. And it will require that he's your one and only. It will require that you count the cost. And it will require that you trade everything. That you be willing to hold it all with open hands. And so my prayer for you, I just want to pray over you. And my prayer for you is that you would let God speak to you. And that you would let his Holy Spirit convict you where there needs to be conviction. But then that you would say yes to the great invitation to become a follower. And that this community right here would be defined by people who were all in, completely followers of him. Whatever he asks, whatever he wants, I'm all his. He's my one and only. So, Lord, thank you that you would invite us into such an opportunity. Thank you that you would... Give us the grace to come into it. Lord, if, if you counted sins, who could stand? No one. Lord, we are in desperate need of your righteousness. We're in desperate need of your grace that makes us righteous. And so, Lord, thank you that you've offered that to us. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to accept it. But, Lord, you've called us, called us to more than many of us are living. You've called us to being a follower, to be followers of you. Lord, I can only dream about what this world would look like, what Christianity, the people of God, the impact we could have if more and more people were followers, true followers. So God, give us the grace to lean into it. Give us the grace to be on a journey. Thank you for your love that allows us to not be perfect, but invites us into a life of progress. And Lord, would you convict those in the room? And God, would you lead people to becoming followers of you? Only you can do that, Holy Spirit, not me. Would you lead people to that? Show them the things in their life that don't align with what it means to be a follower of you. 
ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.